from the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, with two-man coverage of the red and gold, this is the Locked On Chiefs Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back. Locked On Chiefs is ready to roll, and we have a great one for you today. John Ledyard is with us from NDT Scouting, as well as the Locked On Draft Show, and we are going to go through the front seven, the options the Chiefs may have when they pick to try and bolster that front seven and maybe protect the back end like we've talked about this offseason. Now, before we get to John, we're going to talk a little bit. The Chiefs announced, or the NFL announced anyway, what their preseason schedule is going to be, and it's a little bit interesting. Um, Perfectly acceptable, I think, to see Patrick Mahomes go up against the guy that has been pretty much of the of the young draft class, the the only, you know, real speculative guy who's been on the field quite a bit in Deshaun Watson, the guys uh, that I had 1A and 1B in the draft when they came out. I think that's going to be really interesting to see where they are. Uh, obviously, uh, Watson with an injury, uh, Mahomes still coming along. Uh, let's see where they are when the preseason kicks off. Uh, then Atlanta. Then you get to see Matt Nagy. The Chiefs are going to go to Soldier Field in Chicago, see how he's doing, and uh, hopefully put a little bit of a whooping on the Bears. You'll never never hear me say otherwise. Uh, I have to say that I, I do root for the Bears if I'm not rooting for the Chiefs, so I think it's uh, kind of a great fit. And then I think something that might be a little bit overrated as the preseason winds down, the Chiefs are going to see Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and I think – Seeing Rodgers work in person, I think, is going to be something that could help uh, Pat Mahomes just add another dimension to his game. We all know what he's capable of physically. We know he's he's seen the leadership of Alex Smith and learning how to prepare. And then he gets to get a little bit of firsthand exposure to Aaron Rodgers. So I think that's a great thing, too. And even though he's unlikely to play much in that game, uh, he should be able to probably talk with Rodgers a little bit afterwards and see him throw uh, a couple of passes anyway. So... Uh, they are set at their precinct. Uh, Houston, Atlanta, Chicago, and Green Bay. Now let's talk about the front seven with John Ledyard. Well, you've heard him before, and we are lucky to have him back. John Ledyard is featured over NDT Scouting and does all the draft work that you need to know about. Thanks for coming back, John. Hey, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Man, I'm excited. It's It's getting closer, and this is the point in time when I start to kind of kind of lose and geek out a little bit. So I think we'll just roll with that. And I, I wanted to start up front on the defensive side. This class is really, really creeping me out. And I want to know what you like about a couple of different guys. Um, and first and foremost, the guy that, that I was high on senior bowl week, and then I kind of faded off. And now I'm kind of coming back to him after looking at his film again, Harrison Phillips out of Stanford. Tell me what you like and what you don't like. Well, I love how hard he plays. You know, you're never going to doubt that with Harrison Phillips. And he is, when he gets, you know, say down block comes his way or base block comes his way, he is, if he recognizes the block, he's very physical, gets his hands inside, and he's a powerful dude. What he doesn't really give you is any type of explosiveness off of the snap, any to any type of disruptive plays. As a pass rusher, he's really just a push-the-pocket effort guy. You know, there's not a whole lot else going on. He, he he will try a move here or there, but he doesn't really have the athleticism. I know he tested well, but you go to the tape, I just don't see that type of athleticism to really clear blocks consistently and get in on the quarterback. And well, the one thing that really kind of bummed me out when I was watching this tape was I thought, you know, he's one of the smartest football players in the draft and one of the smartest guys you see. He's like a literal genius uh, at Stanford. I thought that, you know, that doesn't always carry over, though, to exactly what you see on the football field. And with him, I thought that, 
he looked surprised by blocks a lot of the time, or especially reach blocks. Uh, got sealed off way too often in zone runs. And I think laterally, he's just really tightened the hips on top of being maybe a little bit slow in the processing department. So I, I think Phillips has a career as a solid rotational backup type of guy. I didn't see much more than that when I watched him. I know some people are like top 50 high on him. I had him in, in, in more in the day three type of range. So I'm definitely lower on Harrison Phillips than, than uh, the consensus seems to be. I thought he was okay in Mobile. Um, you know, the combine was better than most people expected, I think. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that translated when I watched his tape, though, and so that was kind of where he left me still wanting a little bit. Well, I'm somewhere smack dab in the middle. I'm, I'm eyeing him for maybe the third round. And based on the fact that the Chiefs have come out and said in a number of different ways they're looking to be more aggressive up front. And, and I particularly like him when he was shaded one side or the other as, as kind of a one technique rather than a straight-up zero. Um, do you think that helps him at all, or is, it, or is it all pretty much even no matter where he's lined up? Well, I think that if you want him to be in a penetrating, attacking role, it would be different than what he played at Stanford for the most part. For the most part, he was, you know, there was that square stance, fire off, get your hands on, not necessarily two gap, but kind of read, react, you know, stack, shed blocks. And there were certainly matchups where you could tell the players across from weren't in his his league in terms of technique and strength. But those are going to be less issues in the NFL. You know, that what's one thing that doesn't really always translate with defensive line guys, you know, just being able to straight overpower people in the NFL you know, that's usually you have to have more tools in the toolbox than that and just being able to run through a guy's chest. There will be matchups maybe against certain backups and things like that where you can win that way. But for the most part, you know, you're not talking about guys that lack strength or technique in the NFL. You're mostly talking about how you, you know, guys that maybe don't have the same mobility you do up front uh, on offensive line. So when you're looking for ways defensive linemen win, I do tend to lean towards some athletic type of traits um, or at least suddenness, the ability to vary pace and things like that. That's why I think that if you wanted to use them uh, offset to one side or the other and attacking more of a gap type of role, a get up field type of role, his testing implies that that might be something he's capable of doing, but he doesn't look explosive on tape even when he's not playing in that square stance. So I'm not really sure. Maybe there's something there to be developed that they just never got out of him at Stanford. Um, I think that you know, his role in the NFL will definitely be fluid. You'll see him head up. You'll see him in gaps. Um, you know, I don't think that it'll just be one thing. But where you get into trouble with him is trying to get him out of double-team situations, and that might lend – if he plays head up, he might be more likely to get out of double-team situations because you'll like him or not on tape. You know, Harrison Phillips, and I think he's even admitted to this, and it's pretty obvious on his tape, he really got destroyed by double-teams. You know, they really wrote him off the ball, and um, so he really struggled in that area, which is why it's hard to project him – to a starting one technique role too because he'll see a lot of those in the gap, a lot of guard center combinations, but he's not really explosive enough to play the three technique role either. So it's a little bit tough uh, to project him into an actual position, but I think as a rotational player that's aligned pretty smart in certain matchups, he can definitely be a guy that helps off the bench at least. I just don't know if it'll be a bigger role than that. Which if he's going to be rotational, that's exactly why you're saying day three as opposed to maybe a third round in that aspect. Correct. Yeah, I, I'm still targeting, you know, it may be for some team that that may be a good range for him. But, you know, for, for late day two guys, 
I still hope to be able to get potential future starters out of there. Um, and, and I think your backup spot starter, special teams, contributing type of guys, you know, bench guys are going to be in that early day three range. But it's possible in this draft class you could see some of those early day three guys leak into the late day two uh, type of range. So I think he's somewhere in that type of range for sure. I just don't know if you'll ever get like solid to strong starter type of production out of him, which is where I kind of reserve my mid two to early day two grades. All right, let's shift over to a guy who I'm pretty sure I've heard you talk about before, but uh, kind of a local guy for the Chiefs Nation. Um, Nathan Shepard, totally different, right? Because there's not any film on him, or if it is, it's, you know, handheld camera footage, right? <laughs> yeah, he's totally different than uh, Harrison Phillips. <laughs> They're very different players. Shepard is almost all frenetic energy. That's the one thing they have in common, probably. They both play extremely hard. But Shepard is just a nonstop just movement. Um, it's it's really nuts to watch his college tape. There is some hand usage for sure. It's not really finessed or thought out. It's just him kind of wildly fighting off people. Um, he plays too upright and exposes a lot of surface area. Isn't really efficient in his movement patterns yet, but explosiveness is there. Um, he is just, like I said, relentless. He's great in pursuit because he is a good athlete. He's got really good range for the position. Uh, there's not... I saw in Mobile a ton of rush moves but uh, in one-on-ones, but in the game setting, I did not see that. And I thought his hand usage needed a lot of detailed work um, in the game setting. So a really – I mean, the guy is, looks unbelievable. I mean, in pads, out of pads, I mean, you just do not see frames like his frame at the defensive tackle position. The traits are enough for me to say, you know, where, wherever he grades out, you know, whether it's – you know, for me, it's, he's in that midday two type of range, but – this class doesn't have a lot of explosive three techniques. He's a guy with crazy traits. If you felt good about your defensive line coach and his ability to develop guys, Shepard is smart. He's a little bit older than the average prospect, but he's smart. He's very well-spoken. He's a good communicator. He's going to work his tail off. He plays incredibly hard, and he's got all the traits you want. I mean, the size, the frame. He's just not that long-armed. That's his only thing probably. Uh, but, I mean, his frame's unbelievable. Like I said, explosive, great range for the position. He's violent. Um, I just think he needs somebody to detail all his work. You know, pad level has to be better. Can he recognize blocks better? I see him as probably a guy that will redshirt early on, but I would maybe even take that chance somewhere in the second round just because this class doesn't have many high-value players at either those types of positions or the edge rusher position. He's worth the risk because you're not going to get many guys that can play behind the line of scrimmage anywhere along the defensive line in this class, especially probably after the top 30, 40, maybe 50 picks. Uh, You're just not going to get those types of players or even players with that type of potential. So that's why I think Shepard's value will go up a lot in this draft. Let's take a second, and when we get back, we will talk about the rest of this class and maybe some other options. No, I just have to ask real quickly. Do you think that his age is going to be an issue at the at the NFL level with the draft? Uh, I know he's not that much older. But. Yeah, he's not that much older. I think he's, what, 24? He'll be 25 in October. Is that right? Or maybe he'll be 24 in October. I can't remember. Uh, I think he's going to be 24. He'll be 24 in October, yeah. So I think. It's not, I think you're right, actually. He's not that much older, um, and he's not a round one pick. I really do, once you get to the second and third rounds, and I think it matters a lot less. So you guys are playing on four year contracts. You're hoping to be able to get four years out of them. You know, if they cost, end up costing you big money, they're either going to be worth it regardless of their age at that point, um, or you're going to let them walk and you're not going to be worried about it. But I mean, he's 24 as a rookie. You know, you're talking about a guy that's 28 looking for a second contract. You're fine with that. I mean, it, you give a guy a second year contract at 28 still. So I mean, what, if you're worrying beyond that, you know, it just you know probably. 
probably not worth it to me. So, I mean, as a first-round guy, maybe we could talk about it in his draft range. I don't think it'll end up mattering at all. Well, and you talk about his recognition. Do you think he's a guy that could benefit from moving away from the ball? Because I'd like to see him at the Fitech in a, in the uh, odd front. Yeah, it's interesting. Typically, those positions, you know, in traditional old school three four defenses, you know, that was a spot that was almost always a long armed guy was going there. And if there's one thing that's that's not ideal about Nathan Shepard's frame, it's that he just kind of has these stocky Velociraptor arms. Kind of, they're just not that long arms. You know, if you look at his Is that a technical term, that's the technical. That's the scouting term. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at his mock draftable web, just pull it up and take a look at it. I mean, he's in like the 60, 70th percentile or higher in like everything. And then arm length's down there in the 19th percentile. So you got this guy that's 6'4", 315. He's got this 70th percentile wingspan at 80 and a half. And then his arms are just like 32 and 3 eighths. Like there's corners in this draft with longer arms than Nathan Shepard. So that's the one unusual thing about his physical profile. That's been the typical mold of that type of position. You have so many nuances now. I mean, honestly, two-gapping is basically dead. You know, you'll see teams use it in part. You know, one position on the, on the front is, is two-gapping for a play, and New England uses it some. Kansas City might use it a little bit, but for the most part, it's and it sounds like especially now with this new, you know, from the way Veach has talked and stuff, that this is going to be explosive, get up the field, be on the attack type of team. So my guess is that you can play – is your, if you're a defensive lineman in today's NFL – you essentially have to be able to play all over the front. That's just the way that the league is. There's so many multiple fronts. You're hardly ever in base. So you're in nickel 70, 75% of the time. If you're the Chiefs, you love Daniel Sorensen. <laughs> I mean, you don't, but the Chiefs Dom's love Sorensen. They want to get him. <laughs> they want to get him on the field. So they're always in nickel and dime. And you're moving your fronts around and you know your players coming off the field and stuff like that. So you've all they've all got to be able to play multiple positions. When we've seen that with Chris Jones already, he's lined up all over the place. We've seen him come off the edge and make an impact. Uh I think Shepard has that type of ability where he can he could play off the edge if you wanted him to. Um he could do some different things like that and move around. He's obviously not going to be your nose tackle and base. But outside of that, as long as you're using them in a one-gap, get-up field, and attack type of role, you know, I definitely think Nathan Shepard can play anywhere on the defensive line. Well, since you're hitting all my buttons, um, <laughs> let's, let's be specific. Top 100. I'm looking at the Chiefs in the third round. So top 100, guys, just give me a yay or nay as I go down this list, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, yay or nay in terms of their fit for the Chiefs? Just whether you think they're worth a top 100 pick. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, Rasheem Green? No. Bilal Nichols? No, but I don't hate him. I just okay, think that's a high for him. He'll probably be on the board in day three. Let's look at it that way. Yeah. Uh, BJ Hill? Yes. Okay. Deshaun Hand? Very big on BJ Hill. Uh, Deshaun Hand, no. He is Andrew really an old school type of player, by the way, Deshaun Hand. Like, yeah, he, right? he would have worked like 15, 20 years ago in the NFL, but he just has absolutely no pass rush ability whatsoever. Uh, you said Andrew Brown? Yeah. No, he is not. He is the most raw dude in the draft, maybe, though. I mean, his first step is insane. Every other aspect is – and his first step and his frame are crazy. Every other aspect of uh, his evaluation is borderline terrible. But but his first step <laughs> is nuts. I mean, he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, he's his tape is really rough to watch. I mean, he, he had some games against lower-level competition, and they were just destroying him. I mean, t- 10 yards off the ball in some plays. But he's like a poor, destitute man's Chris Jones in that his pad level's a mess – but his first step's great, and if you could fix the rest somehow, it's worth it, and the Chiefs might take that Why risk. Why he got to be destitute? Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
just a bad Chris Jones. That's what he is. <laughs> All right, uh, folks, hold on. go I check out NDT real quick because you got to see the rest of it. I have to ask him a quick question. So yeah, you, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you scouted Tano Passanio last year. Where did you have him? I had Passanio. He was just inside my top 100. I want to say he was 99th. I think on my board, he was my. I think he was my first fourth round grade. It was where he fell at. I think with my revised grading scale this year, just kind of glancing at the numbers and the things that I've kind of tiered and valued and stuff like that, I've really tried to do a really detailed type of grading scale this year. He would have been in my late third round type of range, so maybe a little bit higher. I saw an explosive guy who played really hard, and I thought he was going to be really coachable, but he didn't have much bend, and there were there was a large absence of technique in terms of as a pass rusher, you can work with that. But as a run defender, which made me question kind of where is he going to get on the field? You know, and he landed in a great spot, by the way, because Kansas City's really done a really quietly has done a really nice job of developing defensive line prospects for the most part. Um, so he landed in a really uh, pretty interesting spot for his skill set. I'm kind of excited to see him next year, but he wasn't a player I was as high on as the Chiefs took him for sure. Well, that's kind of where I was going with that. And you were talking about a very raw prospect. So I was wondering if there's any relation between the two. Yeah, I think that I think that there could be. I mean, he, if you talk about a guy like Andrew Brown, it fits kind of what we've – the MO from the Chiefs. Now, there's flags with Andrew Brown from what I've heard in terms of not knowing whether he'll be a guy that ever really gets it. Um, his combine was horrendous in almost every aspect. I mean, look, just look at it. You can look at his web. You can look at I mean, anything. I mean, like I said, his frame looks unbelievable. He's got the 34-and-a-half-inch arms, you know, six, three and a half, almost 296 pounds. His wingspan's huge. But, I mean, he tested in the ninth percentile in the 40-yard dash, and he was a little bit light already. Uh, he tested – well, let me pull him up as opposed to the defensive lineman here. Sorry, revise that. He tested. <laughs> he t- I'm gonna t- I'm gonna put him opposed to guys that are more his size because the edge group kind of throws it off. Uh, he he tested in the 40 yard dash in the 37th percentile among defense interior defensive linemen. Uh, the 18th percentile in the vertical jump. Uh, 11th percentile in the broad jump. 37th in the three cone. 55th in the 20 yard shuttle. And uh, his bench press was good though. So. Yeah, just kind of didn't test well athletically at all, and that was really – you were hoping he would show that explosiveness, and it makes you think maybe on tape he's more of a snap jumper than anything else. But day three, it still might be enough to interest the Chiefs. All right, folks, in just a second, we'll be back, and we're going to talk about those guys on the outside that we have to get to. But in the meantime, make sure you check out NDT Scouting, where all John's work's at, and and follow him at Ledyard NFL Draft on Twitter – all right, coming back. Now we got to go out to the guys that uh, that really get get the money made. Um, and this group, I don't know, it drives me kind of crazy. Uh, the edge rushers here, and I know you're high on a couple of guys that I just can't understand to tell you the truth. I know you're good with Chubb, and you got Harold Landry number two, don't you? I do have Harold Landry number two. Yeah, Bradley Chubb number one, Harold Landry number two. Okay, so explain to me what you see in Kamiko Toure that tells you he should be in that that second echelon. Well, the big thing with Kamiko Ture is that I don't take into account, you know, when I do evaluations, I flag injuries and that kind of stuff. So I don't take into account injuries. I don't take into account production, you know, which he had in college. I know a lot of teams have production thresholds. So I think that stuff will scare some people off that he's had two shoulder injury surgeries in the past and that he just hurt his hamstring at the combine. I will fully admit, Kamiko Ture, risky pick, a guy that missed basically parts of two seasons at Rutgers. If you're looking at all that kind of, you know, fringe stuff, the the peripheral type of aspects of his evaluation. 
he's definitely a guy that he's super risky. You know, I wouldn't blame anybody for if when they take all that into account saying, you know, I'm not going to touch him until, you know, round three, round four type of range. For me, though, I think he is one of those early day two picks because he gives you pass rush juice off the edge and you got to have pass rush juice off the edge um, in today's NFL. I actually have a midday two grade on him. Sorry, but he, yeah, he, he gives you that speed, that bend. Um, he does fall step out of his stance at times. It looked like he cleaned that up and seen at the senior bowl. But if you can win as a pass rusher, primarily around the outside of your opponent, you're on your way to really good things. And he has surprisingly good hand usage. He rushes very similar to Yannick Ngakwe in that he doesn't bend in his hips as much as he bends in his ankles and kind of tilts the edge. He also does a nice job softening things for himself uh, by taking really good angles, by using his hands at the top of the arc. Um, the senior bowl, he you know, seemed fully healthy, invigorated. He was able to really be used as a rusher. A lot of the time, Rutgers had him in a passive stance, and he would kind of run read off the ball and then rush if it was a pass, you know, or dropped a lot into coverage too. Um, so, you know, I didn't think that college tape and how they used him was necessarily the best way he could be used. I think he's he got the size, honestly, to play with his hand down. He's going to be a situational player early in his career, I think. You know, almost a little bit like Tack McKinley was for the Falcons, you know, kind of grow him into a bigger role, I think. Um, that's kind of how you have to use. But the snaps that he gives you are high-value stuff, and he has the traits athletically that you want at the position to work with, but also traits that I think he has – he has go-to moves and abilities as a pass rusher right away. He's got to get better at some things for sure, but this is a terrible edge class. You know, you got to take chances like that on guys like him. So I like him a lot. I would take the risk on him. Definitely. I get why people are, are a little more cautious with him. Uh, but on his tape, I thought when he was given those rush opportunities and you look for those flashes, I thought he showed the traits that you wanted. Well, I'm going down my list and I think we pretty much agree. Josh, what's a day two guy, right? But early, right? I actually have a round one grade on Josh Sweat. He's one of my late, late last round one grades. He probably will go somewhere in that late round one to early day two type of range. But uh, I would, I honestly think when you know Josh Sweat's evaluation is a little bit tricky. First time I went through him, I wasn't really that impressed. I thought he would do well at the combine. He did incredibly well at the combine. Um, and showed really no ill effects. And once the good medical report started leaking, I was like, okay, I need to go back. So I went back, started with new games, watched the Miami game, and that's where he got to, you know, Florida State used him terribly. They put him in a square stance where you can't really use explosiveness up the field. Um, you know, they put him in these run, read, and react, so he was slow off the ball a lot of the time. And they used him as like a four-eye technique or a three technique a lot of the time. I mean, it's, the dude was playing his, he was playing his tail off at that size, but you know, he's already a really good run defender. He plays low, his hands inside. He's active. He gets off blocks. He drives guys in the backfield. Um, he's going to help right away in that role. As a pass rusher, he needs to find counters. He needs to find inside space to work as well. But he uses his hands well at the top of the arc, and he has that bend. I mean, you can't – that's what you can't teach is that bend. When he was allowed to – he rushed from a four-point stance. But against Miami, if you look for the reps, you can see him and watch – if you have the aerial view, watch the aerial view, and you can see him get off the ball post to everybody else. When he's ball watching and he's got his head looking inside at the ball and he's able to take off, that's when you start to see the speed from Josh Sweat that you don't see when he's playing inside or when he's in these passive stances off the ball. So I think he can play in a 3-4 and a 4-3. Just play him on the edge. Let him be the athlete that he is. Let him go get after the quarterback. He plays incredibly hard, too, and I really like that about him. I think he's a guy that's going to put everything in terms of being able to get those kind of those dumb sacks as well and chase down quarterbacks and things like that. So I think he's he's my number three edge by far. You know, I think he's one of the better ones in the class. 
Well, and I doubt he's going to be there at 54, but right. a couple of guys that I am looking at at that point, um, I like what Lorenzo Carter brings, but obviously not used as a pass rusher for the majority of his career. But he's got the athleticism to really make that transition, much like Floyd did. Or do you think I'm missing something? No, it's he's a, such a hard player to, to to predict because, you know, on one hand, you look at guys that don't know what they're doing right now and that are raw – and Carter kind of has everything you want. His frame's unbelievable. He plays hard. He's apparently coachable. No issues off the field. You know, he's a guy that really commits himself to doing whatever the team needs. I mean, he's one of the best prospects in the country. And he basically was just a role guy. Georgia split time, never complained, never stopped working, you know, never really became what they wanted him to be, uh, what they hoped he would be. That might be on Georgia to a degree. I don't see really bend or moves when I watch him. Um, he, his technique is just hit or miss, even as a run defender. I mean, watch the Auburn game. I think the first one, he got blown off the ball by Auburn's like wing back like four or five times. I mean, he just could not get off blocks. Um, you know, so he's just really kind of highly inconsistent. He will flash with a crazy athletic play or show off some range. And, you know, he popped a couple guys with some good hits this year, but you know, it's bad when everybody shows the same quip, clip on Twitter to prove a pass rush ability. Like, Everybody's always like, oh, yep. Carter has the juice, and he comes off the ball unblocked, and he hits Notre Dame's quarterback uh, who doesn't see him coming and you know sacks him and strips the ball, and it's a big play in the game, and I get it. But splash plays leave a big mark in our minds as evaluators, and it can't really be that way. We have to look at the facts. The facts are that nobody blocked him, so he better make that play. Um, and so when he was blocked, he just doesn't make really an impact as a pass rusher. So I would be curious to see Carter off the ball. He certainly has the athleticism. Now he's 250 pounds. I mean, he's a big dude to play off the ball, you know, especially in today's NFL. He has coverage ability for sure. Um, you know, he's not really nuanced, but he has that range that you want. You watch him. He carries some wheel routes and does some really good things in terms of just running with guys that are impressive. But, you know, also, you know, they play John Kelly and, you know, he separated underneath. John Kelly separated underneath from him on an angle route and kind of torched him down the field. So, you know, he just isn't a really nuanced player right now. He's a developmental player. He'll probably get overdrafted. I hope that he pans out because I really like how he plays, but you know, just that he plays hard and physical. But right now, there's just not a lot to really get excited about with Carter. Let me see what you think. I got three guys that I see as possibilities as an OLB type taken in the third round. Uh, Okoronkwo? Yeah, I mean, he's a possible OLB type for sure. Another guy plays incredibly hard. Uh, he's actually super long-armed, even though he isn't the biggest guy. Um, you know, I think that there's... He's working on what he needs to do. You know, you're going to get a first-class person in Okoronkwo. Um, just a very soft-spoken, teachable, coachable guy uh, who's going to lead by example, probably going to be the last dude on the field all the time, um, was just a joy to talk to in Mobile. Just a really cool, neat uh, young man. And I think that he has a lot of traits that you're looking for. He just has no real clue how to use them yet, and he doesn't when – when his first move doesn't work, it's over. Like, if you get your hands on him, he's done. And uh, – that could be an issue in the NFL. He might only be a situational player, but he definitely is a scheme fit. I have Davenport on the third as well. We don't have to go into him. I know he's been talked about ad nauseum. Um, two guys that intrigue me as being able to play both fronts. Um, what's your take on Kylie Fitz? I, I'm going to be honest. I always liked Kylie Fitz. I did not think you would test like that. I mean, he tested well. <laughs> I was floored. Um, I, I liked him, but I did not think he would be a good athlete. I thought he would be okay. Uh, I thought he would test it well in the explosive stuff. Even for him, to, he ran the same three cone as uh, as Harold Landry. I think. I mean, that's mm -hmm. nuts. Yeah. Uh, I did not see that coming at all. Um, 
So, you know, I'd lo- I wish he showed that bend on tape. He doesn't. If he did, I would probably be – I mean, I was already standing on the table for him. I was the only guy t- – I thought he was great in Mobile. I probably asked everybody there. I was like, what do you guys think of Kylie Fitz? People were like, oh, I didn't really notice him or he was okay. I was like, man, nobody else likes Kylie Fitz. And I was just – I mean, that was kind of my guy. They were making fun of me all week in Mobile because I just like Kylie Fitz so much. And you know, but I thought he hit some great moves. And you know, he's a great sense of when to get inside as a rusher. I have him in the early round four right now. Um, I, I think that's still high compared to the consensus, but you know his testing gave me a lot of hope that as he gets back to full strength, the biggest issue with Fitz is he's been injured so much in his career at Utah that it does give you some pause in terms of projecting him to the NFL because he's just never really been able to stay healthy. So uh, that's hard to bank on for teams. Uh, for me, I just kind of take that and flag it, like I said, but that's it. And I think that he has a good idea what he wants to do as a pass rusher. He knows how to read pass sets and take advantage of what uh, his opponent gives him. He's got power in his hands, and he plays pretty low and leveraged. You're not really going to see him bend the edge, or at least I didn't a whole lot. His testing you know, kind of suggests that it might be possible, but uh, it might be a Jordan Willis-type situation where he doesn't really ever do it on tape. But um, I think that at the same time, he does play low enough to win pad level and does some good things in the run game in terms of getting off blocks. And another guy, high character, going to play hard, going to be coachable from everything I've heard. So that's an advantage. I don't know that he's a fit for a 3-4 just because I'm not sure whether he'll be able to drop into coverage. I mean, it may be really simple stuff, but you know, Kansas City asked a lot of their guys in coverage. I don't know if he'll be a fit there. Well, if Tomba can do it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that's actually a good point. Folks, <laughs> folks, we're up against it. John, thanks for your time. Folks, check out NDC Scouting as well as Ledyard uh, NFL Draft. Thanks, John. We appreciate hey, no it. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Chiefs podcast. While you're out there, give us a rating or review and reach out to us on Twitter at Ryan Tracy NFL and at Chris Clark NFL. We'll talk to you next time.